welcome guys. Yay! Glad you're back. Woohoo! I thought I would kick off today with a story. Story time. I, I wish they were fun stories. <laughs> here comes the sad. <laughs> uh, so when we moved here, um, we didn't know anyone, obviously, and I was in charge of mission teams. So in our first summer, before we launched Connect Church, we hosted 11 mission teams from the States. It's fun. I look back on that now and I'm like, that, that was insane. That's and cool. why did I say yes to that? <laughs> and it was very stressful, very overwhelming. And in that time, we, we were trying to build partnerships for people like churches in the States to send us finances to help us at least through our first year, mm -hmm. but hopefully through the first three. And so it was my job to kind of build some of those partnerships. And so there was um, a few churches that came up and they were more reformed or complementarian, con conservative than we realized. And I think at this time, um, like the networks that we were going through, the church planting networks were partnering us with these partners that we had never met before. And so I think at the time they didn't quite realize how women empowering we were. Okay. And so they were partnering us like with churches. Man. Yeah, they were partnering us with churches that were like very standoffish towards women in leadership in general. And um, <laughs> there was one time where I took a mission team to the COP, and I actually got banned from the COP. Oh, this is true. <laughs> and this is true. So I took them there, and I it, it was a rainy day. We were supposed to be out in a park, like, passing out balloons and stuff. And um, instead, I said, okay, let's go to the COP. And so I went and asked for permission to pass out stuff, and um, they said yes. I went up to the head office they said yeah you can pass out these little candy invites just don't go to the second level where the kids camp is because that would be a little crazy we don't want the kids just grabbing all your stuff no problem told the mission team stay on the first level don't go upstairs and so we all spread out and we're handing out invites to connect church for the first time and lo and behold this very angry security guard comes up to me and he was like who is leading this this organization? You are proselytizing. I mean, he's ripping me up and down. I'm like, well, I'm in charge. He's like, no, no, no. Who's in charge of this church? I'm in charge. Yeah. Okay, and I never use the word pastor. I never, because I don't know this mission team. Mm -hmm. And we've had experience where mission teams kind of bristle on the pastor word. So, okay, I'm not using that. I'm in charge. You can talk to me. He refused mm -hmm. to talk to me. Refused. Ripped me up and down and said, you are banned from the COP. No, you not only that, he said, get your husband on the phone. Yeah. He 100% get, said, get your husband on the phone. This random guy called me and I, you know, I didn't handle this the best because you get a call from like an official and I'm like, what were you doing, Amber? How dare you? You know, you should have known. And, you know, and he was like, they didn't have permission, blah, blah, blah. She's like, I did have permission. And so, it, you know, I probably was less supportive initially than I should have been. But even right out of the gate, I was like, bro, why are you calling me? Just talk to her. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. No matter very weird. how I tried to explain it, I said, yeah, I already got permission from who? And I'm trying to explain, but I don't remember. I'm so frazzled. I'm like, I don't remember her name. <laughs> but she's upstairs and in this whole process oh. and this mission team is watching my reaction to this 
me breaking down in my car crying, like all of those things that happen and and watching how I respond in leadership to that. But this guy was just refusing to believe that a woman could answer, could could make the call, could bring a team, like it couldn't wrap his mind around and refuse to talk to anybody else other than Daniel. And the irony, of course, is that like he wasn't a Christian. This was right. not church. But, you know, it was just like this attitude like, no, let me talk to your authority, lady. And this I really so was banned from the COP for an <laughs> for entire year. For a full year. year, she was trespassed from COP. I couldn't so go. For the longest time, I used to give her a really hard time about that. She would get so mad when I would tease her about getting banned. It's not banned. my fault. No, now it's the just The mission funny. team's fault. Now it's just a story we tell. So. <laughs> All right, let me uh, dive in here to week number uh, five. It actually says week four still at the top. It's not true. It's week number five. Go ahead and correct that. Let me dive here into week number five by making what might be a surprising or a controversial statement, okay? And the statement is this. The office of pastor does not exist in the New Testament. The office of pastor doesn't exist anywhere in the New Testament. So if we want to get kind of really specific, we could say that Timothy was not the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Despite what you might have heard, despite what you might have read, Timothy was not the pastor of the Ephesian church. Titus was not the pastor of the church in Crete. Again, Paul put him there and put him in charge, but nobody in the New Testament would have looked at Titus and said, hey, Pastor Titus. Um, Biblically speaking, if we're going to go strictly under the terms that are used in the New Testament, I'm not the pastor of Connect Church, okay? Um, In fact, in in the New Testament, there's only one person that is ever actually called the pastor of the church. Only one. Do you have any idea who that might be? Huh? Peter? Okay, we're going to get there because Peter has an interesting role to play. Think bigger than Peter. Jesus. Literally. We're going to find out in a moment that the word pastor literally just means shepherd. So think about how many times Jesus is called the good shepherd in the book of John. Or in 1 Peter, he's called the chief shepherd of your souls and things like that. What's really fascinating is that um, Jesus is the one whom the title pastor is typically associated with. And it is very rarely, um, and in ways that we don't typically think about it, used of church leadership, okay? So the reason I bring that up is, A, it's interesting because pastor is pretty much the title that we use for leaders in churches in the Western world in 2022. But tonight what I want to do is I want to examine the titles and the terms that are used in the New Testament to define the people who lead the local church. And what we're going to do is we're going to compare how the New Testament uses those terms versus how we use those terms in modern times. And we want to discover how aligned or not aligned those usages and definitions might be. And the reason that this is important is that we've got to be precise in what we're talking about. When we're having this level of debate and discussion, when the stakes are this high, we need to make sure that we're all using the same words in the same way. So if somebody were to ask the question or if we were to engage in a conversation and and the question at hand is, can a woman be a pastor? It can be very easy to just say like, yeah, we all understand what a pastor is. But do we? Do we really know what the pastor was in the New Testament? We know what pastor means in a particular theological stream or ecclesiological model 
um, that we're comfortable and familiar with, Baptist or Pentecostal, generally Protestant and evangelical. We know what pastor means there. But what about in other streams of the church, which are equally Christian, but they wouldn't use the term pastor at all? What does it mean when we call somebody a pastor? That's kind of what we want to unpack a little bit tonight, okay? So um, let's start here with some um, New Testament leadership terms. And I've got that written there at the top of your page using scare quotes. You know, it's like leadership terms. And part of the reason that I'm using that in quotations like that is because the way that we think of leadership and the way that the first century church thought of leadership is often very different from one another. Okay, so what did Jesus say? Jesus said to his apostles that none of them should rule over any of the others. That Gentiles like to get authority and lord it over one another, but not so among you. Instead, whoever wants to be greatest has to be the least, right? So when we talk about leadership, when we talk about offices and authority, we have in mind power structures that are informed by, you know, Western democracy and capitalism and all of those things. And they're not bad. They're just not New Testament words or ideas, okay? So when we think about authority, when we think about offices, leadership and stuff, in the New Testament, it is a bottom-up model where the servant and the lowest place actually has the greatest position of authority. First shall be last and last shall be first and all of that. But then when we think about like being the CEO and business, um, the business world, then we tend to look at a top-down structure and authority. So we've got to recognize the way the New Testament uses these words is not the way the business world uses those terms, or even the way the church has in, in certain cases, okay? So there are a few um, important texts that are going to define or um, become the source for these leadership terms that we want to talk about. So I've got them listed here for you. It's Ephesians chapter number four. In general, it's verse number 11, but verse seven and a couple other verses in that chapter uh, bear on this subject. First Corinthians chapter number 12, pretty much the whole chapter, but verse 28 is the big one. And then in first Timothy three verses one through 13, that's where we get into the qualifications for what it means to be a church leader and things like that. So what I want to do is I actually want to read these passages together before we start defining the terms that we're going to see in these verses, just so you have the context kind of go in, in the back of your mind. So I've got it right here on the screen. If somebody just wants to read this out loud, we'll start with uh, first Corinthians 12 and verse number one, and we'll just read through a, a, a selected portion of that chapter. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brother, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are a variety of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So if we skip just a couple of verses down, so same context as what Paul's just talking about here, we've got one last slide for you to read. <laughs> and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? 
Do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Okay, so we're going to come back to this passage, but what I want you to notice here is that the Apostle Paul starts to single out and use some leadership terms. I've got them highlighted here. Uh, a couple of note are apostles, prophets, and teachers, some of which we've talked about already, some of which we're going to be talking about tonight. Okay, I have one slide for somebody else to read. This is 1 Timothy chapter number, actually, you know what, let's go, I'm going to give you the easy one first. This is Ephesians chapter number 4, verses 7, and then 11 and 12, if somebody will read that out loud. This is the only one. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up. Okay, so we start to see some of the same terms used in this passage, Ephesians 4, that we did in 1 Corinthians 12. So we see apostles, prophets, but then we get some new ones. We get evangelists and shepherds and teachers, and so we're going to talk about how those relate to each other. All right, one more. I'm going to go ahead and read it for you guys. Um, so this is what um, Paul says in his letter to Timothy. This is where he lays out the qualifications for um, what we would typically consider a pastor in the Christian church. So he says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone, uh, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well and with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil." Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into the snare of the devil. Um, these are all from the ESV, and um, we'll talk later about why we chose those particular ones. So inside of those three passages, and there are others, but basically we see the same terms coming up again and again and again. We see six uh, primary terms that are used to describe leaders in the New Testament. So the first one there, the first blank is, you could probably guess based on the Greek word that I have written, apostle. apostle. Nice and easy, okay? In uh, Greek, it's apostolos. And um, in apostle, we talked about this a little bit last week, the word apostle means a delegate or a, a person who is commissioned and sent, okay? Someone who is commissioned and sent. And there is a technical use of the word apostle in the New Testament, and there is a non-technical or a general way that that word is used. Um, in total, apostle is used in the New Testament 81 times, so it occurs quite often, okay? When we're talking about the um, technical sense of the term, what we can do is we can go, like, because we think of the 12 apostles, but as it turns out, there are some other people that also use that term or that term is applied to them. But in the technical sense, what happens is uh, Jesus is betrayed by one of the 12, Judas Iscariot, right? So he goes out, he commits suicide. At the very beginning of the book of Acts, the 11 that are left are like, wait, Jesus chose 12, and 12 is probably an important number because they knew there was some symbolism with the 12 tribes and all of that. So they said, we need to choose somebody to replace Judas Iscariot. And so they, they went through a process and they ended up choosing a guy named Matthias. He replaced uh, Judas. 
What's interesting is that in that passage, they, um, they lay out a process for who qualifies as an apostle. Okay, and they list out a couple of things. The primary um, uh, parameter for being an apostle in the technical sense is that you had to have been around Jesus' ministry before he died. So you couldn't be a newbie that showed up after the resurrection. There are a couple other things. You can go read about it. But there is a sense in which apostle applies to the uh, people who were involved in Jesus' original ministry. He commissioned them and he sent them out. So it could have been the 12 or 14 or 13 or whatever. It could have also included the group of 72 that he sent out in Matthew and in Luke. There are a couple of different ways, but basically it means Christians that were around while Jesus was teaching. Okay. Then there's the non-technical sense of the word apostle, and it literally means anybody who's been commissioned and sent by Jesus. That's me. That's her. That's all of us. We've all been commissioned and sent. So that's what the word apostle actually means. The closest maybe um, uh, explanation or, or um, uh, comparison I might make today is maybe like apostle is kind of that missionary impulse. We, we send somebody as a missionary out into the world, and that's a specific task and job. Their job is to go and to preach and to um, you know, evangelize and convert people and start churches and you know all of those different things. So we might consider apostle as that missionary impulse that we see in the world today. Okay, second uh, blank there, second term that's used is another one that you can probably make out because the English is very similar to the Greek. That blank should be prophet prophet, okay? Prophetus is what it is in Greek. And um, as we've talked about, a prophet is essentially someone who is inspired by God with a message. Sometimes that message is about predicting the future. More often than not, it's about calling out sin and um, calling people to return to God when they've drifted away from him. The word prophet occurs 143 times in the New Testament. Far and away, prophets were the most numerous leaders in the New Testament church, which is kind of funny because like we have almost no prophets today mm -hmm. for whatever reason. That might be right. It might be wrong. Um, I'm not even going to get into that tonight, but it's interesting that the most common designation that was used for leaders in New Testament times is one that we almost never hear, at least in evangelical churches. Okay. Um, the third blank is evangelists evangelist, somebody who is an evangelist in Greek. It's the euangelistes. It's the ones who go out and they are heralds. They proclaim the good news. So these are people, I mean, you understand the word evangelism. You go out and you tell people about Jesus, who was God's son, lived a perfect life, died in our place and rose from the dead so that we could be free from sin. Really surprising to me, after doing some work on this this week, um, the word evangelist only appears three times in the New Testament. I expected it to be a whole lot more, especially for like all the emphasis that I heard on evangelism as a kid growing up. And I still believe it's incredibly important. But there were three people that were identified as evangelists in the New Testament. And that's it. Three times. Much less than I might have uh, expected. Okay. All right. So those are the three. And you remember we saw those three here. In, so in Ephesians chapter number four, we see apostles, prophets, evangelists, right? We're seeing kind of these exact terms unfolding, but the next one is very interesting. It's a little bit different than some of the others. So the next blank, the one that's hyphenated, it's got two words there. That blank that you should fill in is pastor, teacher, pastor, teacher, okay? Um, in Greek, 
the the wording here is poimen didaskalos. The poimen is the pastor, and it literally means shepherd. Okay, it means the guy in a field taking care of sheep. That's that's literally what the word pastor means. You care for sheep. You are a shepherd. But interestingly, here in Ephesians chapter number four. Um, when Paul uses this word, he says pastor and teacher. And um, if you pay really close attention, he doesn't say pastors, comma, and teachers. He uses a Greek word that connects these two in the same way that like a hyphen connects two words in English. Okay, So it's saying it's one and the same, not one or the other. So it's a pastor-teacher. When he talks about the New Testament leader that holds the title that we would typically call pastor, Paul calls it a pastor-teacher. It's a dual responsibility. There is an obligation to care for people and to make sure that you're teaching them, or, or metaphorically, we're feeding people in the same way that a shepherd is responsible for feeding sheep. Pastor, teacher, poimen, didaskalos. Want to really blow your mind? This happens in one place in the entire New Testament. The word pastor does occur more often, but as I mentioned, it occurs only in relation to Jesus in the noun form every other place. Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd, the chief shepherd in various places in the New Testament. This is why sometimes pastors will refer to themselves as the under shepherd of a congregation. Um, That's a bit of a technical term, like nobody puts that on their business card or anything like that. But it's a way of recognizing Jesus is the real pastor of Connect Church. You know what I'm saying? And like, that is the biblical usage of the term. He's the shepherd of the church. I'm like, I'm like a sheep that the shepherd said, keep an eye on them. That's basically it, okay? <laughs> like, that doesn't make me a shepherd. I'm still a sheep, just like everybody else, okay? So we got this pastor-teacher, the poimen didaskalos. It only occurs in this one spot. All right, then the next blank, the, the fifth term that's used, and this is the big one. Um, this is the one that we're going to spend most of our time talking about tonight, is elder or overseer. Overseer is what goes in the blank there. We saw that word overseer in 1 Timothy 3, reading out of the ESV tonight, um, where Paul says, if anyone desires the office of an overseer, they desire a noble task. Um, Now, the reason that this is a slash word, because there are two Greek words used in the New Testament. The first one is presbyteros, um, and that's the word for elder, and it literally means old man. Like, that's the actual translation, but then it's used in Jewish history and then also in the New Testament church to mean like an elder, a a person who has wisdom and insight because of their age. People respect and follow them because they have this experience and wisdom and, and things like that. Um, that, that word presbyteros, that's where the Presbyterian church gets their name from because that church is led by these elder councils, okay? The second word is overseer, and it's episkopos. That's the Greek word. It's also translated as bishop. So that's the other word that you'll see in the New Testament. So you're either an overseer or a bishop, but the Greek word underlying it is episkopos, and that's where the Episcopalian church gets their name from. Because that basically means somebody who is 
um, in charge of local congregations. And in the Episcopalian denomination, you got a guy and he oversees a whole network of churches and, you know, bishops and on all the way up. Okay. And then lastly, the final term that's used is deacon, which we've talked about a little bit already. In Greek, it's diakonos. And um, both of those, the elder and um, bishop or overseer term and the deacon term, it occurs seven times in the Bible. Like, that's it. It's surprising to me. You would expect, like, for as much emphasis as we place on church leadership, and, mm-hmm. and necessarily so we should, right? But there's surprisingly little that's said in the New Testament, guys, about what God, how he intends the church to be structured, the leadership positions that are supposed to be in place. You'd be, like, if you do a real study on this, or you read scholars and theologians, you find out very quickly, it's like, wow, all, there's a lot that is tradition that's not actually in the Bible. Right. Stuff that the church has just done because the Bible, there's so many gaps, we've got to fill it in somehow. And so we do what we think is best. And what you'll discover is if you go to, you know, evangelical churches, they're going to fill in the gaps this way. And if you go to Orthodox churches, they're going to fill in the gaps this way. And if you go to mainline churches, they'll fill them in this way. And it's all a little bit different. And the interesting thing is everybody would say, I'm operating according to what I read in the scripture. They're just filling in gaps, maybe in different ways or using some different terms. So those are the those are the six major terms. There's one left that we'll talk about at the very end. But those are the six major leadership terms that are used in the New Testament. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, that's one, uh, elder, overseer, and then deacon, okay? Um, one thing I didn't mention, and I'll just clarify it, is that... Um, in the, in the scripture, in the several places where we read about elders or um, the presbyteros, the, um, the passage will flip back and forth between the two terms. So like Paul will address the presbyteros at this particular church, so the elders, and then he will talk to them about their oversight of the church. And so he uses those words interchangeably, but interestingly enough, he never uses the word pastor in those exchanges. He never uses the word pastor that way. We'll talk about it in a sec. Okay, so there are basically three ways that you can interpret these terms, okay? And this part is really critical to understanding the entire debate. So if I say this and you're like, I need you to clarify a little bit, let's slow down so that we get what we're saying here, okay? One way to interpret apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, overseer, and deacon is that these describe the offices, that's the blank there, the offices of the church. <clears throat> and when we say office, we mean like the specific role and title. Every church would have this office. Its, um, its job is to administer and oversee and lead the church. It's an official role that only certain people can hold. Only one person could hold an office at any one time, those sorts of things, okay? So they either describe the offices of the church that's what most complementarians would say, that all of those are uh, offices, some of which are still in use in the church today, and some of which passed out of use after the first century. That's why they say we don't have you know, apostles and prophets and things like that today. The second way to interpret these terms is that they describe the functions that are reserved for the office, so functions. So um, they might say, okay, um, maybe prophet is not a um, it's not an office that a church has 
but prophecy is a function of the elder office or the deacon office. Does that make sense? So like that's one of the things that an elder or a deacon might do. So either their offices or they could be functions that are reserved only for the people that are inside of that office. Or lastly, they describe spiritual gifts that can be exercised independent of any office. So it could be that if you're in the office, you exercise these gifts because God has given them to you or they are necessary to fulfill your job. Or it could be that you don't hold a particular office in the New Testament church, but you still have the gifts and you're expected to use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you. Okay, does that threefold way of interpreting it, does that make sense? Is everybody on board? Do you want me to clarify anything? Because it is pretty important when we start moving forward. Feeling good? You guys got it. You're smart. I know. Um, offices, functions, spiritual gifts. Okay. With all that being said, we can actually make, we can, we can scratch out the first one pretty quickly. Okay. And that's because as I note here at the bottom of the page, there are only two church offices that are explicitly outlined in the New Testament. Only two. Everything else is a function or a gift, but it's not an office. So the only two are deacon and elder or overseer slash bishop, if you like the word bishop. I'm going to start calling myself Bishop Dan. I but like that's, it. So I was checking um, that verse, yeah. and I am reading through the NRSV, which is where mm -hmm. the ESV came from, mm -hmm. and they, throughout that entire use passage, bishop. use bishop. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's interesting. It is interesting because, so bishop in our modern time has come to be associated with um, high, what we call high church. So like churches that have liturgy and churches that have um, strong denominational oversight. So a bishop, like in the Catholic Church, for instance, is responsible for many local congregations, right? Mm. Um, so I think part of the reason that word changed over time in translation is so that people aren't confused because this is, Paul is specifically talking about a local New Testament leader, not a regional or a national leader, if that makes sense, okay? Mm -hmm. All right, so the only two church offices that are outlined in the New Testament are deacon and then the elder, overseer, bishop, three terms that describe the exact same position, all right? Those are the only two. Now, we, we know that. We can be confident of that for a few reasons, and I've listed them on page two. Okay. First, these are the only two terms that are ever used in the New Testament that have qualifications attached to them, meaning you have to be this, 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 or you cannot be an elder or a deacon. So here's what's surprising, you guys. There are zero qualifications to be a pastor in the New Testament. Oh, well, there's one, and we'll talk about it, but it's not what you think it is. There are zero qualifications spelled out for somebody who wants to be an apostle or an evangelist, unless you're using it in that super technical sense that I talked about um, from Acts. So like these are the only two terms, deacon and elder slash overseer, that uh, have any qualifications. The reason that they have qualifications is because they describe an actual office within the church. Not everybody is going to hold the office. Not everybody should hold the office. And so there are some parameters set on who should be there, okay? So that's the first reason. The second is, um, when you pay attention to the way that these words are used throughout the New Testament, what you'll see is that apostle, prophet, evangelist, even pastor, teacher, those terms are used for people 
that do ministry all over and in more than one local church. They're not specifically attached to one church. However, when we see the term elder or we see the term deacon, it is almost always attached to a specific local church. So if we were to go read Philippians chapter number one, verse one, the way that the apostle Paul addresses his letter actually bears this out. Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, listen to what Paul says. This is the NLT and I haven't double checked it, but I bet it's pretty much the, yeah, okay. So um, I'll show you here how this translation works. He says, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus. Basically all the Christians in the church, including the church leaders and deacons. Now, in the NLT, because which word are we using for church leader? Are we using pastor? Are we using overseer? Are we using bishop? It's kind of hard to know. The word that actually occurs here, I'm nearly positive, is um, episkopos, overseer, um, but it translates as church leader. So you see here, Paul uses these terms for uh, these two offices, rather, and he connects them to a specific local church. We saw this last week when we talked about Phoebe in Romans 16. Paul said that she was a deacon at the church in Sancria. She was a deacon tied to a specific congregation. So again and again in the New Testament, we see these two terms are attached to individual congregations, whereas apostle, prophet, evangelist, and some of these others, these tended to be more like itinerant or free-floating ministries, and you weren't employed by and paid by, although those are modern terms and they don't really apply. But anyway, it's the easiest way to think about it. You weren't employed by and paid by a single local church. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's the second reason we know that elder and deacon are actual offices. Um, the third is that these are the only two terms in the New Testament that have a version of the word that applies to the job or role instead of just the person holding that. I know that's a little weird. What I mean is, in um, the New Testament, there is a word um, that's called the episcopate, and another word that's the diaconate, all right? And basically what it means is like, if you've ever heard somebody talk about being or called to the pastorate, it's like, that's the office of the pastor. The episcopate is the office of the uh, overseer. The di diaconate is the office of the deacon. Um, it, it is a way of referring to, so like presidency and president. It's kind of that similar thing. So you have a president, that's the, the person that's almost said dude. That would be bad in this context. <laughs> the, the, the person, the human being, who is in the office of the presidency. Same thing here. There is the presidency version of elder overseer and diaconate that does not exist. There is no pastorate word in the New Testament. There's no evangelistet word, prophetet. It doesn't exist because at least in the New Testament mind, those were not actual offices, okay? And then the last reason that we know that this was an actual, um, uh, this was an actual office um, was that these two terms are explicitly listed as offices in early church writings, okay? So you guys know um, the, the first generation of Christian writings are what we call the New Testament. And the final writing of the New Testament happened around 90 AD, somewhere in that neighborhood. It was the book of Revelation. The apostle John wrote it. Um, all the other apostles had been martyred for their faith. They'd been put to death because Christianity was made illegal by that time. And so they were all put to death for preaching a Lord other than Caesar. 
John was tried and convicted, but he wasn't put to death. He was sent into exile. So he was sent out to a Greek island called Patmos, and he had to live basically as a castaway on his own on this island. He wasn't like by himself forever. He wrote letters and passed notes and all this stuff. But anyway, the point is, um, John closed out the New Testament canon in about AD 90. Okay? There were all sorts of other writings that were going on at the same time or within a few years. And there's one in particular, a very, very famous writing called the Didache. All right, I've spelled it out there for you, the Didache. And um, the Didache was written at the very end of the first century. So this writing was basically the, right around the exact same time that John wrote the book of Revelation. Like you can't get any earlier than this of stuff that is like, considered orthodox and old, this is the best of both worlds, okay? And in the Didache, it's like this, um, Didache means teaching, and so basically what it is is like, it's the, the second generation or the, even the third generation at this point of believers who are copying down the teachings of the apostles for the church. Because by this point, the New Testament as we know it, it wasn't like together. There were letters that were being circulated, but if you lived in Turkey, you would see the letter to Ephesus. But if you lived in, you know, Rome, you might not see the letter to Ephesus in your lifetime, right? So it took a couple hundred years for all of these things to be gathered together. There had to be conversation about which ones were scripture and which ones weren't. And like, it's a big process, right? And so um, during that same time, there were second generation Christians that were writing down church manuals, essentially. And one of them is called the Didache. The Didache specifies these are the two offices of the church. And this is right at the same point that John uh, the Revelator was writing. And so these are um, really solid pieces of evidence that these offices were recognized in the New Testament. Elder, overseer, and deacon. None of those things are true for the other terms that we've used. Mm -hmm.